This is Greg Amortis from Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast, and you're listening to the Horror Movie Podcast, where they are dead serious about horror. <laughs> a flesh-eating mammal. They have been kept in a domesticated state by man since prehistoric times. When abandoned by man, left to fend for themselves, and deprived of food, they will resort to the most primitive means of survival. Last summer, they were pets. Now, they are predators. The right move may mean survival, while each moment brings them closer to death. They're not pets anymore. podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday and this is episode 119, a themed episode that we have titled Man's Best Fiend, Horror Pets. Dr. Shock gets credit for that for remembering that clever Werner Herzog title. Well done, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> that was funny. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. Jay, did you do something to this monkey? <laughs> you have no idea how many times I've been asked that. <laughs> the thing is... like. <laughs> I never know what you're going to say. And so it's very hard to come up with something fast enough and witty enough as I'm the slowest thinker on this podcast. And that's why I recycled that response from before. So it's shameless, but I'm 41 (laughs) this year. I I need a little slack, I guess. Keep that in the file. You'll probably use it a few more times. (laughs) I probably will. I mean, maybe I could just say that every week. Okay, it's time to get serious now. (laughs) We're going to talk about horror pets. That's hilarious, right? I mean, I mean, the fact that it's horror pets. Um, there, there are so many places I want to go with this, but the first thing I want to say is, when we were texting back and forth that one day, and kind of discussing like what we were going to do with this episode, and this has been like a month or two ago at this point. Um, Wolfman Josh said something really cool in that text conversation, and I would like you to start out talking about it, Josh, if you remember. You, you said something to the effect that, um, you. You liked the fact that this pet, it was initially a pet and a loyal companion, and then it turns on the owner. Do you remember talking about this? No, but I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about what my ideal killer pet movie would be, and I think that is kind of at the heart of it there. I think, yeah, man's best friend, right? And so this is, you know, horror being this loss of of safety that we talk about sometimes that's uh, it, it can't get less safe than that it's like having a family member turn on you or your you know your best your dearest companion turn on you 
and by your throat. And so that's a, it's a scary concept, I think. And I also like the idea of domestication. You know, p- pets are, are, are at one time we're wild animals that we have domesticated mm-hmm. and we've brought them into our homes. And so the idea then of them turning wild again and turning on us is an interesting conceit. You know, it's almost like Jurassic Park maybe did it best, really. This idea of nature finds a way you can't really control a wild animal, even if you think you can. Mm-hmm. So I anyway, I like the I like the idea that, you know, we talked about that a lot in our When Science Goes Too Far episode, the idea of playing God. This is that on a smaller scale of thinking you can control nature and, you know, the force of nature. And um, anyway, that, that, that element really speaks to me, I think. See, and I, I love what you said there, and I've been thinking about it ever since you put that in the text. And I'm like, this, this really, this horror pets concept, even though people haven't actually gone around saying horror pets or man's best fiend as like some subgenre. We we're, we're all familiar with it. We know what it's talking about. And what's cool about that is this sub subgenre of horror, whatever it is, is actually very similar to something like a zombie film or vampire movie, because it's got that concept of the betrayal of a quote unquote loved one. You have, you have someone, or in this case, something, an animal that, that, that loved you or that you trusted and that is not the same now. It has become a monster. And even though you still have feelings for this thing, it wants to kill you. And and that's very scary. What say you, Dr. Shock? I've grown up my whole life. I had pet, like we had dogs and, and I had a cat, but you just never know when, you know, you think, you know, these animals and you, 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 you don't, I mean, as they get older, does something happen? I mean, uh, um, my, uh, my mother's friend, had this dog and it was the nicest dog for the longest time. And as it got old, I went over to their house one day and, and I'm petting it and it bit me in the face. And it, I actually have a, I actually have a, a gash under my nose still from this dog attack. Wow. I mean, it, it just, I mean, it was very close to my eye. I got very lucky. Um, and the thing just attacked me for no reason, just petting it, which I had done dozens and dozens of times before without incidents. So you never know when a dog, a dog you could, you could, act, you could think is the friendliest thing in the world, and it could very well be. You never know what's going to set it off. You never know. My brother has a dog that he it was a rescue, and whenever it sees a small child, it tries to attack it because something must have happened with it with a small child at some point in its life. But it's scary. You know, my brother has to be very, very careful. I mean, the dog's very old now. It doesn't move as much anymore. But he has to be very careful of of when a small child is around because this dog goes ballistic. Perfectly fine the rest of the time. And that's kind of what you're dealing with with any type of pet. You just never know. You never know. And I think that's what what I like about these movies, too, is it it kind of brings that to the forefront. Wow. I I was not expecting that, Dave. I mean, like everything you just told me, it was really kind of um, sobering to me, actually. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's it was. So I've had some experiences with it, but you know, I think nothing to the extent that we see in these movies. Obviously, although I gotta say, I still, I still, I'm still bothered by this gash in my nose. I never went to the hospital or anything. I just kind of sh- pushed it together myself and mm. never Ugh. did heal a hundred percent. Dave's t- Dave's tough as nails, guys. Wow. I mean, that's. 
Right. It kind of rem- reminds me of that movie White Dog, which is um, mm-hmm. on the Criterion Collection now. Have you guys seen that? I know of it. I've seen that movie. Yes, it's uh, Sam Fuller. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that one. It, basically, you've got this dog who's been trained to be racist, and it only attacks black people. And it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's a perfectly normal dog, and in, in all circumstances, unless it sees a black person, and then it will attack to kill. You know. Yikes! How is that only rated PG? It came out in 1982. <laughs> I guess because it's before <laughs> PG 13, but still, that sounds yeah. like an R-rated concept to me. But that's very disturbing. yeah. It's, it's more the more the way that that Fuller presents it. It really becomes more about this girl and this uh, um and trainer. the trainer trying to break yeah. the dog. They're trying to fix the dog. Mm, okay. So what about mental illness, though? Like when, when you think, because honestly, if you're a pet owner, I know like what most of the world has pets, right? I mean, I grew up with dogs and cats and such, and, and uh, they become like a part of the family. And so it's really weird to think about them becoming killers. And so like if you if you think of a family member all of a sudden turning and going ballistic and harming people or harming other family members, then, you know, you would attribute it in a human to some sort of mental illness. And so I wonder if, um, I wonder if that has any relation to this too. I mean, because like, you know, in, in, in a lot of these, like oftentimes it would be something like rabies, such as in Cujo or something. Then old yeller. <laughs> uh, yeah. Old yeller. <laughs> right. Yeah. Great example. Yeah. Old yeller. Wow. That's like a Disney film, right? That's old school. Yeah. 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 We watched that every year in elementary school when I lived in San Diego. And I just remember, you know, the old yeller time again. It would go, I'll go sit in the um, lunchroom and watch old yeller for some reason. But that was definitely one of those where, yeah, this dog, it's his best friend. And then it gets rabies and it turns on him. And it's this terrifying feeling because, uh, what was once safe is not is no longer, and, and that's kind of you know one of the oldest tricks in the book for a horror movie. And um, <laughs> you know we we talk about that a lot with parents. You know how parents are supposed to be a child's uh, place of safety. I think mm-hmm. pets are very similar. It's a it's a place where people turn for comfort and solace and yes. And so yeah, it does seem like something's wrong with that. You know something's gone wrong. It's not, it's unnatural. I mean, you talk about beastly freaks. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at these like in different ways. You know, we talk, I don't know if it was on the killer bears episode, but, um, a similar kind of idea where you have the bear who is just doing what it does naturally, which is to kill occasionally. And then you have the bear that's actually going out of its way to do something insane or it's, it's gone mad. It's a, it's a, it's a beastly freak. You know, it's, it's a freak of nature. So yes. it's not doing what it should be doing. Yes. So you have two very different approaches to that. And we see that in a lot of these killer pet movies. Um, there are some that are a, a dog suffering of what is kind of a natural cause of, of, of rabies. Um, and then others who have like in monkey shines that I'm going to talk about a much, you know, more convoluted kind of trip into madness, <laughs> but so. you know, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's definitely falls in the spectrum there. So, Josh, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to your old Yeller comment because that's fascinating. I'm so glad you brought that up. I I didn't even think of that one, and that's hilarious. And so, spoilers coming up for the Disney film Old Yeller from 1957. Um, but in the end, Old Yeller has to be put down. 
and he dies. Yeah. So, and they showed that to us in school as well. Like, I mean, I was shown that in school when I was younger. So why in the, why in the hell are they showing this movie where all these kids get attached to this dog, it gets rabies and then it's dangerous and scary and then they shoot it and it's dead. That, I mean, that sounds like a horror movie, actually. I haven't seen it in many yep. years, but what is that? Why is that a Disney film? It's a drama with horror elements. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's based on classic literature, I'm assuming. Um, and uh, those are things that are good for kids to and, and why, why would our schools show us that at such young and tender years? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, I went to a Catholic school. They only showed us like the religious movies. I never got to see. Yeah, what what actually, The Exorcist would have been pretty sweet. No, it would have scared the hell out of me. But... Uh, they never showed us. Uh, oh, you know what? I remember them showing us. Was there a sequel to Old Yeller? Oh man, how would you, you know? Do what? That? I think I, there was. I think there was actually. I don't know. They showed us <laughs> like, the sequel to Old Yeller, but they didn't show us <laughs> Old Yeller, that's which like, is very strange. Now that I think about it, that, that reminds me of like Titanic Two. I don't know if you it's saw that. Savage on- Sam is Old yeah, Yeller. Right. Two. That's that's what they showed us because it has a much different ending, I believe. Oh, it does have a different ending, and and and, and that's the one they showed us, as opposed to uh, Old Yeller. Um, and then, other than that, it was all you know, just Christian movies and whatnot. Wow, this is crazy. I feel like um, maybe our upbringing was um, <laughs> not the best from our education. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, really. Anyways, okay. So anything else we want to say about this? I mean, it's a fairly simple concept, right? I mean, in my discussion, uh, I'm going to be talking about Cujo here shortly, and I'm going to be talking about the concept of betrayal. I think that is the primary underlying engine of horror pets is a concept of betrayal, where once there was trust, and then the trust is breached or broken, and uh, betrayal occurs. And well, to, to bring up another non-horror film, but on your topic of um, mental health, there's the film Blackfish. I don't know; it's a documentary. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Not a horror film, but it's a, it's it's a true story. It's a, it's a documentary about uh, Orca, the San Diego um, Sea World that was picked up from another park where it had kind of undergone some trauma and when they brought it out to SeaWorld, it you know it endangered the lives of several people and uh, killed at least one that we know of for sure and they think killed others um that it kind of had happened at night when there were no cameras around and mm-hmm. and those kinds of things but um this orca tilicum it uh you know it's it's about kind of the film is kind of about how the captivity that the killer whales endure at SeaWorld is, you know, and, and mostly even these other parks where they, where they got them from lead them otherwise peaceful animals who apparently, according to the documentary, there isn't recorded um, instances of, of a killer whale attacking a human outside of captivity but yeah. there are a lot in captivity That's and correct. so yes um i am yeah. i i have some uh, super eight film from when well, we took a trip to california i guess back in 74 
I don't think it was the one in San Diego. Is there another like Marine Land or Marine World or something? I think it was in, in the San Francisco area Probably. where my father took Super 8 film. We we're sitting in there and we we're watching the show with the killer whales and everything. And they show them like taking a fish out of someone's mouth or something, you know, along those lines. And it was just, <laughs> I'd like to watch that and then watch Blackfish and just kind of, <laughs> just because I remember that. I remember that, that clearly. I mean, I was in part of the area of the crowd where when the thing jumped, we all got wet. Mm-hmm. You know, so I remember vividly as the film helps, obviously, because I was not that old at the time. Right. But right. I do sort of remember the whole thing of, of watching these killer whales and they seem very docile to me. I mean, I would have thought, hey, that'd make a cool pet. Yeah. yeah, they're very intelligent and they love humans, but something about the captivity. And then this one did endure additional trauma. It was kind of attacked by some other whales and stuff in captivity of it. And that film Blackfish from 2013, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, If the listeners choose to watch it, it is disturbing. And what's intriguing as they talk about the attacks and the various things that happen, it almost does seem like, um, I mean, it reminds me kind of a a lot of like the, the course of Cujo where as he as he gets worse and worse with rabies, mm-hmm. like at first he's like, you know, he, he's just kind of annoyed and sad. And then like as the film progresses, he gets more and more dangerous until he can't control himself. And it, it actually parallels the, the behavior we hear about with these orcas. Yeah. Yeah. Two other documentaries that I'll just bring up really quickly, not horror films. But kind of horrific, <laughs> the direction they take. Uh, there's two. One is better than the other. They are called The Tiger Next Door and The Elephant in the Living Room. And these are a little bit different take on this idea. These are people who keep exotic animals as pets. So people who keep a lion as a pet in their home. And um, there's also, of course, the film Roar that we've talked about <laughs> before. But this is these are documentaries where, um, you know, about people who have like a poisonous snake in their home and how that has become this kind of mini epidemic in the United States, because people can't care for these animals. They'll buy them on the black market or something and release them in the wild. Then they'll kill some kids or they'll, you know, they'll let a cougar loose in Ohio or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it'll, it'll get out. There's, there's one case where a lion gets out of its cage and is running down the interstate. Um, and you know, the heartland of, of the United States. So wow. it's, it, there's scary stuff. And so first of all, don't buy exotic pets. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause you're right. not going to be able to take care of them. It's either going to kill you or escape. Um, but yeah, those are, I mean, even, to- even, even Siegfried and Roy, one of them got, yeah. was, was attacked, you know, and these are, yeah. they, they made a life out of training these things. Yeah. And a lot of these people aren't trainers. They're just at some, they have some weird opportunity to get this pet. And they're like, oh, I love a lion for a pet. Who wouldn't love a bear for a pet? You know, or they go to these like, you know, weird swap meets or whatever. And there's a guy with a, uh, you know, a box full of cobras or whatever. And they'll sell one to, to you and you can take a home in a Tupperware, you know, and uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's crazy. It's it, crazy. Anyway, it uh, those crazy. are those are two docs I'd recommend if people are interested in going down the documentary rabbit hole, um, particularly Elephant in the Living Room and Blackfish. So you're saying of uh, the the tiger next door and the elephant in the living room, the elephant one is um, better of the two. The elephant one is a little bit better, and it also is more. It's a little broader. It encompasses more stories, like okay. small stories. Gotcha. Yeah, I've always wanted to see that. I've been curious about it. Thank you for talking about it. 
Okay, anything else you guys want to say about our theme, uh, <laughs> horror pets? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, at this point, uh, I'm proud to present Dr. Shock's feature review of The Corpse Grinders. Your product is selling so fast, Mr. Landau, that it's almost impossible to find it on the shelves. It wasn't my idea, it was yours. What could have been sweeter? Using human flesh. You'd chop them up and ship them out in cans. Why would the cats suddenly turn into man-eaters? Okay, The Corpse Grinders from 1971, directed by Ted Michaels. M-I-K-E-L-S, that is. And he, he himself was kind of an interesting guy. Uh, very, very, like, almost micro-budget films this guy was turning out in, in the 60s and 70s. But he would give them names, I think, that would sort of draw you in, like Ten Violent Women and The Black Klansmen. Um, and then one that I watched because of the title, Blood Orgy of the She-Devils. Um, so he came up with, you know, he did the corpse grinders. Now, he, I, I read an interview with him in this book called The Sleaze Merchants. And he claims that this movie cost him about $47,000 to make and took in over $3 million. Mm. So pretty successful. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't actually verify that anywhere else, but I have no reason to doubt uh, Mr. Michael. So we'll go with that. Uh, and that's, you know, anyway, let, just to set up the story before I get into it here. Um, how it fits into the theme is uh, it's about a cat food company, the Lotus Cat Food Company. You got these two guys who are running it, and they found a way to save a lot of money on production. You know, instead of buying all the ingredients that are the accepted ingredients for cat food, they just get human corpses from the, from, uh, the local cemetery, grind them up in the corpse grinder, and that's the cat food. They send it out, and, and, you know, cats eat it up. It, it's very popular, and they're making a lot of money. Uh, however, something recently, a recent development, is that the cats are now turning on their owners. They're becoming carnivorous, and they are killing people. They're, you know, they're, they're just turning all of a sudden, uh, turning on their owners and, and uh, biting their necks and, uh, and attacking them. Um, well, this doctor, um, you know, he's, he's got a nurse uh, who brings her... Cat to the hospital for some reason. I, they never explain that, although it's not really a hospital. It looks like it's a room in someone's in the in the back of uh, someone's house that they made up to look like a hospital. Which you know, cat might fit there a little bit more than it would a regular hospital. But anyway, um, you know, the nurse is there, and it's his girlfriend, uh, and the cat just attacks this doctor. So he starts to wonder why, and he looks into the Lotus Cat Food Company. Sort of launches this investigation of his own. Um, and the two of them visit the cat food place. Well, these two guys are trying to cover up. You know, they don't want anybody to know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really where the story lies and, and where the horror comes uh, comes into play. Um, the cat attacks themselves are not that impressive. You can tell they're sort of holding the cats to themselves. If anything, the cats might be trying to get away. You know, so they're doing what they can to make it look as if they're being attacked by these cats. <laughs> Um, and of the $47,000 budget, I don't think any of it went towards props and sets. Um, the, the, the cat food, uh, company, even the office that these guys have looks like it's just a, a really sort of crummy basement or just a, just a, uh, I wouldn't even say a warehouse. It's almost like, it's like, it's almost like it's the dungeon of a castle or something. Yeah. Um, where this where this food is, and like I said, the hospital is just a, a room in someone's house. At one point, they have a door open, 
And uh, you see, like, another guy, like an orderly, I guess, walking past. And in the background, it's just a white sheet hung, you know, to cover what might be on the wall on the other side there to make it to keep up with the hospital, um, you know, the, the look of a hospital. Right. Um, and even the corpse grinder itself is not that impressive. It's just kind of a box, according to um, uh, Mr. Michaels. It was made out of plywood. Uh, but... One thing that, that will stay with you is when these, what they do is they put the bodies in one side. Um, and they're usually wearing not their clothes, but at least their underwear. They seem to grind the underwear up with it. Okay. But they <laughs> put them through this machine, and what's coming out at the other end, I guess, is like a meat, but it is disgusting looking. I mean, it's probably just ground beef, but it don't look like ground beef. It is nasty. It's probably al- and that's what Alpo. I, yeah, could be Alpo. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was cat food. Maybe I'm thinking of this ground beef. Maybe it was cat food, real cat food or something. And having had a cat, I know that can be pretty gross, too. Yes. Anyway, um, the acting is what you'd expect on a $47,000 budget. There's a couple, though. I like the guy who played the doctor. Um, his name uh, was uh, Sean Kenny. He didn't do such a bad job. And one of the two guys, um, I guess the more devious of the two, Maltby, Oh, no, Landau, uh, played by Sanford Mitchell, of the owners of the cat food uh, company. He wasn't so bad either. Um, you know, and it's just a strange sort of film. Um, the the guy who uh, works at the cemetery for them, Caleb is his name, and his wife walks around with a baby doll, treating it as if it was a real child. No explanation, no idea why she's doing this. They don't even address it for one minute she's just doing this in the background all the time um this movie did spawn two sequels uh the director video oh. corpse grinders 2 which ta- which ted michaels directed in 2000 and then 2012's the corpse grinders 3 i can't say the corpse grinders watching this movie the one from 71 has inspired me to watch any of the follow-ups um as a matter of fact i don't know that i'll be watching <laughs> either of the sequels anytime soon. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's low budget fare. It's not, I've seen worse, but it's hard to say this is a good movie that I think people should check out. Um, horror wise, it is a little bit, like I said, the cat attacks aren't convincing. And even the main story, once that gets rolling, it's not all that tense or frightening. Um, but it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting idea. And if you want to see a movie made for $47,000, like I said, there were worse. I would probably give it a 5.5 and say it's 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 a low-priority rental. I wouldn't rush mm. out to see it. But, um, you know, might be worth checking out if, if you like that. Uh, if you like low-budget films. I like the idea of a killer cat movie because mm-hmm. whereas we were talking about with the killer dogs, they're man's best friend, they're your companion, but people do kind of <laughs> have this feeling about cats that they really don't care if you live or die, basically, as long as you're feeding them. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. That's that's basically what it what what it is. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of like, you know, when you walk in, a dog's all over you, jumping all over you. Oh, thank God you're home. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> walk in and the cat's like, oh, it's you again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I found this list um, at Blumhouse.com by William Bibiani, and uh, it's a great title for his article. It's called Apocalypse Meow, Nine Unforgettable Killer Cat Movies. Um, and he, he does mention Corpse Grinders here. He mentions a couple others that I thought I'd mention because uh, I, I realized our listeners had actually 
asked us to review one of these previously, and this would have been the perfect time, and we've totally failed, or at least I've totally failed because I was keeping track of that. But um, our listeners, several of our listeners, have asked us to review uh, Uninvited from 1988. Mm, yeah, the, oh. the mutant domestic cat movie, right? That- yeah, that's on this list here. <laughs> Is the Uncanny on there? Uncan- the Uncanny on there, Josh? That was one I saw. The Uncanny? From, from 77. Yeah. There's uh, the Cat from Hell segment from Tales from the Dark Side and Stray. That's a good one. Oh, that Tales from the Dark Side segment might be the best of all the, the killer cat seg. That is really, that one's probably the creepiest. Well, I haven't seen most of the other movies, so I can't say, but that <laughs> is a creepy sequence in that film. So I, I, you know, I will recommend people check these out. If they're interested in killer cats, here's a little list for you. Night of a Thousand Cats, and then Strays, Tales from the Dark Side, The Uncanny, and Uninvited. The ones that I, I, I uh, cribbed from this article here, Apocalypse Meow. But yeah, I, I apologize to our listeners. I know you guys did want us to review Uninvited, and maybe that will have to make its way onto a Frankensteinian episode in the future. Oh, yeah. Since... Uh, but I'll just read the little description here as long as as long as I've got it up from Blumhouse.com. He says, one of the weirdest killer cat movies ever, and if you haven't been paying close attention, I'll reiterate that it's saying something, is about a cat who repeatedly barfs up another larger cat who kills people and infects them with bulging neck disease. Oh, yes. And it all takes place on a yacht where a millionaire and a group of teenagers he invited for some reason are completely isolated. And also they dance like total dorks. <laughs> <laughs> that's great and there's also so the list um the list i've been using for this episode which um i'll reference a few times tonight is if you go to wikipedia and you look up um let's see what it's under natural horror films right it has the various kinds of animals or um in some cases pets and they're killer animal movies and two here, Pet Cemetery, of course, from 89, which has, it's not totally a killer cat movie, but it's got an evil cat in it, of course, Church. And then um, the, Incredi- the Incredible Shank- Shrinking Man from 1957. I guess there's a domestic cat in that. That's Well, it chases him because he's so small, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. of course. <laughs> but, yeah, there we go. That's a list of cat movies. But it's funny, right? It's funny to think of killer cats. My grandmother actually had a severe phobia of cats and Dr. Shuck, the exact same, like the similar story that you're talking about with the dog that uh-huh. attacked you, that happened to my grandmother when she was a, a young girl, um, except with a cat. It was a cat she knew, same, oh same kind of thing. And then it just, you know, ran across the room, jumped up and scratched her on the face and started going nuts on her. Hmm. inexplicably and so ever since that my grandmother was scared out of her mind of cats she couldn't even watch it on tv that would do it that that would do it yeah yeah she would i can certainly understand why (laughs) well one movie that has some kind of scary cats in it uh was the pyramid from 2014 that we reviewed um yes and i didn't love it as much as jay here did but i just recently watched the brendan fraser version of the mummy in its entirety for the first time and he uses a cat as a weapon in that movie because the the <laughs> mummy is terrified of cats because mm-hmm. just like in the pyramid they are the think, keepers of the underground world so is the, is the guy i think the god is bastet i don't know if i'm right about that but i think that's the cat god 
It could yeah, well be, some... but but Brandon Fraser runs around with like a little fluffy yeah, cat. Right. It's just probably like named cat, Snowball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's and hilarious. and it scares the mummy away. It's 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 uh, used as a kind of recurring gag a couple times. So I thought that was great. Probably the best part of the movie. So are you going to be talking about that in your mummy review? I may well reference. I wanted to make sure that I reviewed the 1934 film. The two other movies called the mummy before I saw mm-hmm. I saw the Tom Cruise one. Yeah. But we are also reviewing every single Universal mummy movie. So we will review it in full in a feature review together um at some point all right dr shock so it it sounds like uh the corpse grinders dave says it's a it's a 5.5 out of 10 he calls it a low priority rental and i see you can you could watch that on amazon prime right now if you have amazon prime so nice there you have it okay now dr shock i I know he's got a he's got a head to bed you got an early morning tomorrow and you got get some rest and so we're gonna to set you free, but uh, before you leave, will you tell the listeners where they can catch up with and hear more from you? Sure, we're at uh, dvdinfatuation.com. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, at um, catch me on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. Uh, my Facebook page, um, search for DVD Infatuation. I guess it'll get you there. And um, also on the Universal Monsters cast, coming up with the review of The Mummy, seeing that in a few days. And the um, Land of the Creeps will eventually, I'm, I've, I've been in touch with uh, Greg Amortis. He said he's getting to the point where he thinks he might be able to um, start up again. He's starting to settle down now um, with his move and everything. So hopefully um, we'll be getting that back online soon, too. I don't know when. There's no timetable yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is talking about uh, getting it going again. Well, we'll we'll keep them posted, won't we, Doctor Shuck? Absolutely. Because yeah, I know a lot of this audience loves Land of the Creeps, and I'm sure they miss hearing you guys over there. So. Oh, and and Greg's a great guy. He really is. I mean, hey, he helped us out on with that. Uh, oh yeah. With the slashers, and you, you know, he did a great job with that. So mm-hmm. you know, he's, he he loves horror. <laughs> We're big fans, and let Greg Amortis know. Like in the meantime, if he doesn't, you know, I know. When you move and stuff, it's so busy. If he doesn't have time to record and produce and edit and publish an episode, he's welcome to join us over here anytime he wants, Dave. So pass that along. I certainly will. I will Absolutely. pass that along. All right, brother. You have a good night, Dave. Thanks for being here and beware of horror pets. Absolutely. That's why I don't have any right now. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Have a good night. See you. All right. See you. When you have kids, just all of a sudden, everything scares you. And for me, it was from the moment my wife was pregnant. I just was hyper aware of anything that could cause harm. And I became terrified by this. I don't know if it's a wives tale or if it's true that cats will stand over a baby and kind of suck (laughs) the breath out of them in their sleep. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar with that. In fact. Yeah, I was super scared of that idea, and we did not have cats around for that exa- for that reason. Yeah, um, I it's been long enough now that I've forgotten the details of it, but I remember at the time it really freaking me out. Yeah, the, the it is in fact um, just like an old wives' tale. It's not it's not actually true, but yeah, what they would say is, um, you know, the the theory was that cats love milk, of course, and so they love smelling milk on the baby's breath when the baby's sleeping so they they like kind of get up on the cat on the baby or stand on its chest which also makes it difficult to breathe and then they would like you know be smelling the milk and it would suffocate the baby basically and that was that was the old wives tale but 
That would make a great horror short. Let's see it, guys. Yeah, absolutely. That's freaky. Film students in the audience, I want to see this by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they could do it. I'm sure of it. So at this point in Horror Movie Podcast, episode 119, let's move into Josh's feature review of Monkey Shines. A man trapped by his own body. To Alan, to the start of his new life. So you train monkeys exclusively for quadriplegics? How about if I were to donate a monkey? She hasn't been exposed to anything weird in the lab. No. An animal trained to follow commands. How am I supposed to take care of it, Jeff? The idea is that it's going to take care of you. Okay, Monkey Shines is a 1988 film. It initially had the subtitle, An Experiment in Fear. So that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. That does not accompany all of the releases of the film. <laughs> but this is one of those that I grew up seeing the poster. I re- I vividly remember the teaser trailer for this scared the crap out of me. Seriously, yes. And um, I just recently reviewed this is in kind of preparation as we were talking about doing a Stephen King episode coming up. Mm-hmm. I had my whole life thought this was a Stephen King story. I know. And it turns out that it was written by Michael Stewart um, based on his novel. But yeah, my entire life, I thought this was a Stephen King movie. And then I just found out like this year that it wasn't. So, yeah. Oh, it, and George Romero did the screenplay and directed. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's an interesting, it's a weird movie for Romero, you know, not really yeah. his typical thing. <laughs> yes. Um, I wondered when I read it, if it was influenced at all by Willard or Ben, those, the rap movies. Right, right. Those are also, you know, killer pet movies, I suppose. Yes. And, and those are, that's a movie Willard where, um, he sends out his, his rats led by Ben to dispatch his enemies. <laughs> and, um, that came out, was it 71? The original Willard came out. And then of mm-hmm. course it was remade with Crispin Glover. Yeah. Which later one? in 2000s. Let's see. Ben, Michael Jackson recorded, the song Ben, right That's for right. that for that soundtrack when he was like younger. That's right. mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the two awesome. of us need look no more. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, Monkey Shines is a similar thing, and and based on so what I realized when I watched this is I had never seen it. I just had these memories of the trailer that I thought were what the movie was, which is in my mind a quadriplegic man in his home with a care animal who you know is this monkey that's supposed to be taking care of him but then terrorizes him and that's not really what the movie is there's a tiny Mm -hmm. tiny bit of element of that but really it's closer to willard it's a movie about a guy who is is a quadriplegic he was a he was an athlete and um he's paralyzed and he has this um service animal that he's given that's this trained monkey what he doesn't realize is that his scientist friend has been injecting this monkey with human memory cells or something. To that <laughs> yeah. Something very uh, credible and feasible. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and it gives, you know, this monkey and this guy a psychic connection. And so uh, much like bad Milo, The man has these terrible nightmares of the people he dislikes dying awful deaths and then realizes later that it's 
through this psychic connection that he's been experiencing this with, in Bad Milo's case, a little creature that lives inside of him. But in this movie, uh, this man's care monkey. So I, um, I love that you keep calling him the man because that's his character's last name is man. That's funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, it's um, awesome. Alan man. Yes. Alan man, the man. I'm like, man, I'm like, wow, Josh is very clever. I see what he's doing. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, the movie is much different than, you know, if you remember that poster, it has the little musical monkey with the symbols. Oh yeah. And my, and I swear, my main memory of the trailer is the monkey coming toward him with a razor blade, with the shaving razor blade. Um, but, yeah, I, I watched the trailer. That's not exactly how the trailer goes. But the trailer does lead you to believe that that could, you know, my scenario could have taken place. But really, it is this movie about this um, monkey taking revenge on this guy's enemies. Mm-hmm. And so... Weird, weird killer pet movie, I will say. And he he begins to love this animal and, you know, and then soon he can't control it. And uh, it's it's pretty crazy. The psych and he becomes more wild as he um, shares the psychic connection with the monkey as well. So. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I remember I first I ended up seeing this film first. It was about 2007 ish. And okay. I learned I learned about it from uh, our uh, mutual friend, the, the film professor, Dr. Moody. And ah. yeah, and the premise sounds way better than I think the film actually is. <laughs> do, you, right? do you know what I mean? So like when he mm-hmm. told me about this, it, it you know he just kind of gave it a one-liner elevator pitch. He's like, it's about this this guy who has this uh, monkey that kills people, this little monkey, and it's like, wow, that is my kind of movie, right? But it doesn't really deliver on that too much, does it? Do you think it does? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't know what you were expecting, but it is a really <laughs> weird movie. Definitely, um, you know, it has, like I said, these dream sequences, mm-hmm. which are really the man um, experiencing through the monkey's eyes these things. And it's interesting, you know, because because he's paralyzed, he starts feeling like the monkey is his way to get out into the world and like experience things. And so that, that's an interesting element as well. As he kind of forms this love interest with this woman, the monkey becomes Ella. I should say the monkey becomes jealous of this relationship. And so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, weird little movie. Uh, honestly. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure. I, I understand that it's a classic and I and I and I certainly just the concept of it terrified me, and the poster and the, and the trailer terrified me as a child. But it is weird to look at this for the first time, this many years removed, and not watching it with like a fan of the film. I'm curious if there are fans of this film within our listenership. But oh yeah, I bet there are. And it I, is a weird little movie. I you know I think the reason, and this is just a theory, but I think the reason that this is beloved by many people is number one, it's a an offbeat, uh, lesser-known George Romero film. I think people right. love it for that reason. And because of the b- bizarre freaking premise. I mean, it's a little monkey that kills people. But I tell you, it is effective because every time... I mean, was there this little monkey with symbols thing on the cover? Was there a time in in a Stephen King trailer or some Stephen King book cover when there was such a monkey like this because both you and I had a, had a, associated this somehow with Stephen King and I'm just wondering why we were having that connection and we've both had it independent of each other 
I have no idea, honestly. I think maybe just because, and it was a book adaptation at the time. The font, actually, the Monkey Shines font, and the, especially the subtitle, An Experiment in Fear, on the poster looks like Stephen King-style mm-hmm. font, actually. Yeah. And it was also just kind of in the heyday of Stephen King adaptations. Sure, that's true. So, Well, I never read the uh, Michael Stewart novel Mon- of Monkey Shines. Neither did I. But... Um, I'm wondering about this. Maybe it's the shining connection. <laughs> Maybe. No, I, for some reason, there's that monkey with the symbols imagery because for whatever reason, I'm afraid, like if I'm out in a store and I see a little monkey with symbols, it, it's just, it's like a horror. It's an icon. <laughs> it's some kind of iconic horror prop to me when I see that. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's you- a very memorable poster i mean this is one of those we've talked about it so many times one of those vhs covers that Mm -hmm. you see as a kid and just kind of like sticks with you you know that's true that's true now do you think uh, i just want to get your thoughts on this and since we haven't read the novel i mean maybe this will be hard to say but the the fact that they end up using he's a quadriplegic guy and and they use this convention where he sees through the monkey's eyes. So it, it's been a while since I've seen the film, probably 10 years. But mm-hmm. but do they do a lot of subjective point of view yes. from the monkey's perspective? See, and I think... And it's it's like a monkey vision, too. Like, it's got, like, that very... Like, you know, it's got an effect on it. So yeah. Like, right. And that, see, and that makes me think, okay, this is kind of um, a shortcut to get around this whole you know, you've got a monkey operating here and it would be really, (laughs) it would be really difficult to depict and show all the things the monkey does. So if we just, if we frame it as a subjective point of view and this guy and it's like, okay, you are in the monkey, then they don't have to show the monkey doing all these things. And, and I think that's the reason why I was disappointed with it when I saw it, but hmm, bummer. Anyways, anything else you want to say about this killer pet? (laughs) um yeah there's not much more to say about although i think i just that i would be have been just as interested if not more interested in the version where a guy who was immobilized is terrorized by his um you know his care animal i think that would be really scary yeah but um this is not necessarily that it has again it has it for a minute it's got a bit of it, but that's not the focus of the story. And what you described there really is uh, misery, right? That I mean, you got a guy who's yeah. immobilized and he's terrorized by his caretaker. And yes, yes, that is mm-hmm. definitely horrifying. But okay, it's also definitely Stephen King. So we can. <laughs> yes, it is. We can feel good about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh. So what, what do you rate Monkey Shines from 1988? Um, I would give Monkey Shines a six. I think it's a it's an easy rental recommendation for me. I think if it sounds interesting to you, you have to kind of be into the idea of um, a pseudoscience psychedelic experience for part of it. You know, like mm-hmm. it really just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, so, you know, it's it's not going to be for everyone, but it, and it's not a great movie. But for the reasons you mentioned, I think. Um, because it is kind of an a odd Romero entry mm-hmm. for the George A. Romero completist. I think it's worth checking out just to kind of have experiences, filmography. In some ways, like it's such a 
much better made film than Martin, but I enjoy Martin more as a film. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of a thing. So I'm with you. We're, worth seeing once i think and i would agree i back you 100 that's right where i fall in this too i mean it has been a long time since i've seen it but i remember watching it back in the day and being just a little disappointed with dr moody because it doesn't 100 deliver the goods as he said but i give it a six out of ten too i call it a rental and i would just tell the listeners if you haven't seen monkey shines and you're going to watch it then just temper your expectations because it's not like you see a lot of monkey violence, right, Josh? I mean, no. It's, so, no. and that's really what I was wanting. There, there's a cool little monkey violence action scene at the very end, but, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing I'm curious from our listeners, since they're so much smarter than us, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be talking about the psychic connection later on in the year. It's pretty soon. Next time we do like a Frankensteinian episode with the film Colossal, and. I am curious where this started, you know, this bad Milo monkey shines Willard thing. If anyone knows uh, is Willard, the earliest example of this, where someone is kind of um, has this psychic connection with the monster who is kind of unwittingly doing their, their bidding. There are a lot of weird um, kind of like spy, not spy movies, but kind of thrillers, right? Where the person is killing someone for them. Mm hmm. I've seen a movie. I can't put my finger on what it is. Like, I thought you would want them dead kind of a thing. Well, even, I mean, what you describe there, I know exactly what you're asking, but what you describe, that whole premise, the concept reminds me of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956. It's not exactly the same, but it's... I see what you're saying. It's similar. Yeah, this is more like you want this person gone, and so somebody else dispatches them on your behalf. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, and maybe and maybe you didn't really want that. Maybe you weren't, you know, you like it like in the case of Bad Milo and Monkey Shines, not as much with Willard, they didn't necessarily want this to happen. They just kind of had these bad feelings and realized later that the right thing could read their minds. So I see. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Okay. It's an interesting conceit. So I I'm curious where it started. If anybody knows, if anybody can predate Willard, I want to know. Okay. All right. I bet they'll they'll let us know. Okay, Josh, and you said um, we're going to lead into a little bit of probably the most famous or a better way to say it might be the horror pet that we tend to see most often, right? And that's uh, the killer dog. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there are so many killer dog movies. Uh, I don't, I don't know. You have your list, so maybe you can name them all, but there's, there are so many of them and there are a lot of them that uh, take place in, in packs of dogs, which is interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. I want to review or kind of mini review one of those tonight, but uh, there are, there are several kind of like killer dog pack movies. And um, one of them that started out this episode, that little audio clip from the beginning is from the 1977 film called the pack mm-hmm. also referred to as the long dark night. Um, but it has almost the exact same premise as the 2016 film, the pack, or maybe it's 2015 film, the pack. It must be 2016. It's very recent. I think it's 2016. Yeah. I think it was originally out in Australia, maybe in 2015, but by our standards, it would be a 2016 film. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you know, in that film, the new one is about a farmer who um, is facing having to sell the farm, facing having to, loses his home and his wife is a veterinarian 
and all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, their how their home is attacked by a pack of wild dogs. And it's an interesting movie. It's kind of um, for one thing, it's a version of Australia that I've never seen before. It's a uh, it's a very lush and green Australia. I think when we see Australia, at least in the films that I can think of, mm-hmm. it's either the beach or the outback. Right. I, I'm I'm not used to kind of this lush green countryside version of Australia, but um, it was beautiful and uh, it was interesting. It was it, you know it's not technically a killer pet movie, so I'm not gonna do a full review here, but as with the previous film, the pack, these are could potentially have been pets. These could have been someone's pet just recently. And yet something having to do with being abandoned, which I think is another interesting kind of twist on this idea. They've been abandoned by their owners. They're now homeless dogs. You know, there's that other movie, uh, white God. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was called? That came out a couple of years ago. It's not a horror film, but it's kind of like a dog apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> incredible <laughs> film if you like slow burn quiet indie dramas i mean it's really awesome but it's basically all of these abused dogs from the city decide they're not going to take it anymore and kind of run free into the city awesome film um this is but these are both versions of the pack here are stories about dogs who were neglected taken out left by their owners became feral and then are hunting and going back to kind of their natural instincts as hunters. And they're, you know, they're predators. And it's almost like watching the raptors in Jurassic Park, you know, this film. It's it's these these dogs are not the kind of dog that if you hit it on the nose, it's going to run away. Like, they are out to hunt you. Well, you know, like the gray or something. Yeah. You know? Well, this reminds me, this whole premise... I haven't seen this new film that you're talking about, but it reminds me a lot of The Breed from 2006, which okay, is kind of kind of similar. But these are those are feral dogs in that movie, but um, it's still kind of neat because it's a well, siege that's what narrative. This is too. These are feral dogs as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so you got the siege narrative element, which we love, right? Because they're trapped inside, and the dogs are outside mm. trying to get in and so forth, and they gotta escape because you can't stay in there forever. That's really cool. So is it something that you would, I mean, did this make you want to see the original or, or, or what? Yeah. And I don't know that this is a remake or anything like that, but, um, I, you know, I just, I came across the first one during my research and I watched a lot of it on YouTube and I actually kind of liked that one as much as I liked this one, you know, I mean, in some ways even more, the pack from 1977 is uh, directed by Robert Klaus, who I'm sure you're a big fan of as a as a Bruce Lee fan. He directed Enter the Dragon and Game of Death, and he he did the uh, Jackie Chan movie, uh, The Big Brawl, which is probably my favorite Jackie Chan movie. Wow! So he's a good director. Um, this is not his best work, but it's it's kind of a fun. Dog exploitation film. <laughs> Dog exploitation. I love it. Yeah. Did and um, I was I was pulling up his name there, and I see that he uh, passed away in 1997. That's a shame, but um, yeah, I, I love his martial arts films. Enter the Dragon's greatest one ever made. But um, wow. So he's the guy that did the 1977, the pack. You're saying? 
Yes, that's oh, right. Okay, gotcha. But I was saying, sorry, yeah, this, so the 2016, the pack, I don't think is necessarily a remake of that or anything. Okay. Um, it's just is a very, very similar premise, and it looks like the breed is almost exactly the same thing as well. It looks like the breed is maybe similar just by the description I'm seeing here online, mm-hmm. maybe even more similar to the 1977 film than it is to the 2016 film. But, I mean, yeah, they're they're people being terrorized by dogs that's the whole thing yeah and uh, and if 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 people are into that concept i mean mm-hmm. the these aren't dogs but this is very similar from 2011 there's a film called wolf town which is just about the, these freaking wolves <laughs> descend upon this um this ghost town there are like some kids college students out hiking or something and they get kind of trapped in this ghost town and all these wolves surround them and it's the same as the breed and the pack and so forth. So if people are into that, which I am, I like these kind of things. That's something to check out too. It was okay. I, for me, I was waiting for the twist, you know, you know, from, you know, it has the opening kill type of scene mm-hmm. and, and then we find out on the radio some, we don't know necessarily what killed them at first. We found out on the radio, they were killed by a pack of what seems to be a pack of wild dogs. So I'm waiting for the, it's actually werewolves or it's actually like some kind of monster beastly freak thing, but no, it's just a pack of wild dogs. See, and I love that because that's reality to me. I mean, that's my favorite aspect. It's like, Ooh, this could actually happen. But, but yeah, a lot of people didn't like this film, uh, Wolf Town. And, uh, if you remember our special features episode when we did, you know, those very obscure movie titles, yeah. Uh, yeah. This one, Wolf Town, only had 654 votes <laughs> on IMDb, but it does have a 3.1 out of 10. I actually thought it was better than that, but what do I know? So, anyways. Well, just as a quick mini review for the pack, I would call it a six. Um, there's nothing special about it for me. If this is your type of movie, which it sounds like it is, I bet you would really enjoy it. It's well constructed, it's beautifully shot, well acted. Like there's nothing to it really, in my opinion, you know what I mean? Beyond, beyond dogs chasing people around, you know, in that kind of situation. So if you like that, you'd probably like this. It's streaming on Netflix right now for people who have Netflix It's a two ninety nine rental, most other places. So I I don't think you can go wrong with a rental for the pack. So I almost get the sense, Josh, that you, that you actually like a little bit of supernatural in your, in your horror film. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. I mean, I'm over the I mean, years. You say that you're saying that like it's a derogatory. No, 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 no. I, I, know, I know it kind of came out that way. I didn't mean it that way. But I, you know, over the years, I, you know, we get to know each other's taste more and more as we podcast together and talk about horror movies. And and yeah, like as I think back, it's like, okay, I think Josh does like the supernatural stuff, and I like I like yeah. more of the real world stuff personally. Yeah, someone in our listenership said oh josh only likes movies that are based on reality and i thought no that's jason that's not me <laughs> yeah i, I yeah. mean they're my favorite uh, for sure yeah. but i don't i don't have a strong preference but i i like uh, i like some kind of twist it doesn't have to be supernatural i like yeah i absolutely like supernatural stuff for sure okay. i like monsters i like werewolves i like uh you know I like some deeper element. If it can be, I, I prefer that to sci-fi and fantasy. So I think that's why I like it. Uh, the supernatural more, if it's not going to be grounded, like in get out, I would have preferred they went, um, 
a supernatural route without film mm-hmm. than the sci-fi route without film. I would have preferred that. You know what I mean? So I see. So anyway, yeah, but I but I don't, I don't mind a movie totally set in reality, like a a preservation or a Cujo that's completely set in a, in reality. I think those can be fun, but I just wait. I was waiting for a twist in the pack, and I was waiting for something else to happen besides the same thing that was happening the entire time. You know, yeah. If I'm gonna watch a movie like this, my my favorite version of this is Tremors. So oh, it's right. It's very it's very similar in a lot of ways, but yeah. I'll take, I'll take tremors over the pack. See, I feel like feral dogs could come after me, but graboids. I, I, I mean, I, I love tremors. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I don't, but um, yeah. So I'm, I, I'm actually kind of afraid of dogs in real life too. I mean, I used to have a lot of dogs, and in West Virginia, you smell your fear, Jay. You I, can't I know. Show them your fear. <laughs> well, I, I had some pretty traumatic experiences when I was a uh, missionary, when dogs were freaking chasing me all oh, over. Yeah, and I had a few scary things happen with dogs, but um, yeah. So I mean, after that experience, it's like, whoa. But anyways, um, I know you mentioned the Wolfman, and and earlier we were talking about Universal monsters and stuff. So right before we started recording this podcast tonight, I was uh, revisiting with my son um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which we all love and. Uh, so Lon, Lon Chaney is, uh, the Wolfman and I actually, I believe it's Lon Chaney Jr. in this particular film. That's and, correct. And he, <laughs> there's a scene in this where, uh, Lou Costello, he's, he's in the, the room with the Wolfman after he is transformed yeah. in, and, and the Wolfman is kind of sneaking up behind him and, and you know how usually like hit, the Wolfman's MO is like just like be this ravenous thrashing, ripping things apart and stuff. Well, the fact that we know that about him, um, and 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 Costello is completely clueless, and I mean it makes that scene really scary, even though it's supposed to be kind of comedic. But it's like, yeah. wow, he is he is in there with this thing that's a, a ferocious beast. Like when when he's with Dracula or Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, I'm just not quite as scared, you know, but it's like, yeah, when he's in there with him, it's like, well, that little guy better get out of there. But anyway, that just, <laughs> I, I don't know what made me, I guess because I was watching it earlier and we've been talking about these things tonight, but anyways, hi, Dr. Right, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, I think again, there's something to that wild aspect of the ferocious beast aspect of these things that you it's hard. You, if you lose trust, it's hard to regain trust, right? Like you've had a yes. bad experience with a dog. I'm thankful I never have because I love dogs. But yeah, once you've lost trust, it's hard to let your guard down again because yeah, it could go. Who knows? It could go wild at any time. Mm-hmm. Could, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy scary. And if the listeners out there, if you're into these horror pet like canine movies, then um. There's a list here, like on, on the Wikipedia Natural Horrors page. If you go down through there, and and some of these, some of the things that make this list, Josh, I don't know. Some of them are sketchy. I haven't seen all of them, obviously, but they got. Here's what they have listed: they have Atomic Dog from 1998. Okay. They have Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell from 1978. That one's about Ooh. demonic German shepherds. That sounds great to me. Yeah, and then you got just dogs. From 1976. I'm familiar with that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dogs of Hell 
1982 that that involves rottweilers okay and in a hostile part two they have this listed as um having some dog action in it and then you got several let me see uh what is this like probably nine versions of the hound of the baskervilles and they, these like come out okay. these come out between 1921 and 2002 and there are yeah. like there are like nine different versions it's like that's been done quite a bit and then you i, I love that story mm-hmm. by the way yeah, it's good. Do you have a favorite version that you'd recommend to the listeners? Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what year it is though, off the top of my head. It's it's a black and white version. Okay. Um, I can find. It, it might be the Basil Rathbone version, actually. Uh, I I can see it. In my I can see the hound okay. in my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's and the set is very similar to like the Thirty One Dracula type of set it's Ooh. it was really it really stuck with me as a kid like mm. these big fake looking rocks the hound standing on and everything i've got it somewhere I'll, I'll try to dig it up but um maybe it's the 1932 version then or the could well be or the 39 version there's one from the 20s two from the 30s one from the 50s uh, i'll get, figure out which one it is before we're done with the show okay. for anyone who wants to check it out but then the it's interesting you know the new sherlock show which i'm a big fan of they did their own version and they did a big twist on the hound of the baskervilles idea which i thought was pretty clever nice okay that's awesome and then we got one that's kind of um very similarly titled to our episode here but this is actually called man's best friend from 1993 and that involves a genetically altered tibetan mastiff and then you got, and that's the one with um, the guy from Aliens in it. Oh, the name I'm blanking on. That's in everything that we we. Oh, this is killing me. I'm sorry. Are you talking about Lance Henriksen? Yes, thank you, Lance okay. Henriksen. Okay, yeah, and then we got Night of the Wild from 2015 that just involves domestic dogs. I don't think I know that one at all, <laughs> and it's a 2015 film. That's weird. Um. Pet Cemetery 2 has um, an undead domestic dog in it, of course. And then you got Rottweiler from 2004, genetically altered Rottweiler. Then we already talked about White Dog. And then there's Wilderness from 2006. And then, um, of course, they they include Wolfen, which says that they have it listed as unusually intelligent wolf-like canines. <laughs> yeah, I no, that's not a, I'm not counting that. I would count that as a werewolf movie personally, closer to, yeah, so that's how I feel about it. But anyways, we have saved what what I believe at least is the greatest horror pets movie of all time. This is actually in my top 3 all-time favorite horror films. Um I think this is the example of a man's best fiend, a horror pet. And I do, I, uh, I even consider this film to be the best siege narrative, and that would be Cujo from 1983. Cujo? Can he get us in here? Can he eat his way in here? Can he? Ah! Oh my God, I'm losing my baby. Now, Josh, the thing is, I want the listeners to know this. I know that everybody is very familiar with Cujo. You've seen it a lot. It's on your shelf. And it's like, 
Jay, why are you boring us with another Cujo review? Uh, probably, and the fact is, we've talked about it many times on this show before, but the only reason I, I th- thought it was worth talking about again is because I think this, uh, this is one of the very best films about betrayal in general. I mean, I think the theme of betrayal is throughout this movie and even more than other movies that I could think of. I mean, there probably is some drama out there, some Oscar bait movie that has a lot of betrayal in it. But I was really watching for that theme because as we talked about earlier in our discussion, the I think the heart or the engine of a horror pet is this this idea of betrayal. And so what we have here is an interesting film where this comes through in many different ways. So I'll try to be a little more articulate than I am. But when's the last time you saw Cujo? Uh, It was with you the last time I saw it, actually. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We watched it in Andy's basement for a commentary track that we recorded. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was a really good time, actually. We, we'll have to dig that out for people for the future in the coming months, maybe. Um, but, yeah, we had fun. Well, it's on the sidebar at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. If they want to buy it, it's, I believe it's a, a band camp. They can buy it right now. But I'd like to make that available to our um, patrons at some point. Mm-hmm. As well. for the, in the special features feed? Yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds great. We'll do it. But anyways, um, so moving now through here, like one of the first things, and I think we've talked about this before, but I, I do think it's neat how in this Cujo, of course, at the beginning, he's bitten on the nose um, by a bat with rabies. And, and so it's interesting that that's a bat and it's got that vampire trope, right? You know, I think that's kind of neat. It reminds me of vampires. I know it's not exactly across the board, but... Anyways, yeah, yeah, it's kind of neat. And and I guess I should say, I assume most people have seen Cujo. They're familiar with the story. Um, The the ending in the book is different from the ending in the film. But basically, in order to discuss this, I will have to go into spoilers for Cujo. And so I'm just going to give that heads up right now. Um, So can you give your rating recommendation before you do that for those who don't want to be spoiled? Oh, yeah. And my rating and recommendation, Cujo is a 10 out of 10 for me. I, I is my like, I think it's my number three all time favorite horror film actually. And it's um, a must see. It's a buy. So yeah, if you haven't seen Cujo yet, please, please work it in and then come back and listen to this review. If you're interested in hearing about the themes of betrayal or watch the film and just see them for yourself. But, um, yes. so I think as I moved down through, I, I, I just marked each of the betrayals that I saw. And there are probably more that I overlooked. But like the betrayal number one, um, the parents tell the little boy in the story, there's no such thing as monsters. They're only in stories. There are no real monsters. And I I mean, as a child, you you count on your parents to tell you the truth about things. And we parents know, those who have children... I don't know if you feel this way, Josh, but sometimes I I have a little bit of an inner wrestle when I'm telling my kids this very same lines when they're afraid of things. Mm-hmm. And and then I um <laughs> and then I realize that actually there are monsters in the world. 
And, <laughs> right. and, and so it's like, you know, somebody might say, oh, they weren't intentionally trying to betray their kid. But it's like, yeah, if you're lying to your children, <laughs> that's a betrayal. And, and, and weirdly enough, this is a very bizarre coincidence. It's like a twofold coincidence, Josh. Just last night, for whatever reason, my nine-year-old son has developed this weird phobia of pigs um, he was watching. Wow. Uh, he was watching a science show on Netflix. It was like nature's weirdest events, and there was this one story about pigs who um, were on this island. <laughs> and then, when people would sail to the island, the pigs would run out and swim in the ocean toward the people sailing there, and they like played this, you know, creepy music behind it. <laughs> and so he was like horrified by pigs. And so I had to tell him, you know, you know, you don't have to worry about pigs. They're not going to hurt you. But the fact of the matter is, pigs are kind of mean. You know, I'm just saying this quietly. Well, and especially like a wild boar kind of situation. I mean, you could really there aren't are there several like mob movies where they like feed people to the pigs and stuff. <laughs> yes, I got to see what those are. I, I they're not coming to mind, but if you think of them, let me know because that's right up my alley. But anyways, oh, man. Um, so that's the first betrayal in the film. They tell the kid there's no such thing as monsters, and there are actually, and Cujo is one such monster. Uh, side note, I love how this is a horror movie that has cartoons featured in it. So many horror movies have cartoons in it. And I love that in this movie, Scooby-Doo is featured in it. And um, and then I also love, uh, just another side note, there's that recurring theme of the, the commercial that plays uh, where they say, nope, nothing wrong here. And it's the the ad that his, the the father of the family came up with. And I noticed this time, I'm, I'm sure I noticed it before, but the little boy uh, hums the Jaws theme at the dinner table. That was kind of cool. Uh, but anyways, I'm digressing. So Stephen King, this story was inspired, everybody knows, by a real life event. I think he went out to this like country mechanic to get his motorcycle fixed. And he saw a big freaking dog there. And it occurred to him that... Um, and tell me if this is wrong, Josh, if I'm remembering this incorrectly, that if that dog were vicious, you know, that he would be in some serious trouble. Is, is that how you recall it? I'm yeah, pro- I'm probably, absolutely. probably butchering no, no. Anyways, um, it, there, there's another like really funny conceit. Like there are amazing things in this dialogue in this film that, that come out to me and dog lovers can all admit to being guilty of this. When Cujo is, first he he's fine and he's he's not rabid yet he comes up to them and he's really nice and everything and the mom warns her son d wallace says hey you don't know that dog stay away from him and of course the owner's like don't worry about it ma'am cujo won't hurt him he likes kids he's safe (laughs) you know like they always say that oh my dog won't bite you and then the next thing you know you get bitten that's, that's happened to me, actually, that very thing. But anyway, um, one of the betrayals in this film is I think it's really cool that they used a what is typically a life-saving dog, the St. Bernard, as trained to save human lives. Yes. And so there's this man's best friend uh, betrayal where this one takes human lives. I think that's cool. And, and that whole... Um, the, the cereal and the consumers thing, the reason the husband gets called away and he's out of the picture is because even though the ad campaign is nothing wrong here, it ends up making people very sick, like violently ill. <laughs> it's awesome. 
And um, another thing in Cujo, Josh, and, and jump in anytime because I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm going to hit the highlights, but you feel... No, man, it's your review and your favorite movie. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, feel free if I'm droning on, but um, in Cujo, they really illustrate, and this is, you know, this is a lesson for anybody who's married or has like, you know, interpersonal relationships with anybody else. If you have relationships with people, Cujo has some insights. Here it is. Um, in Cujo, problems fester. There's a lot of festering going on. Um, like there's the bite on his nose from the bat and that festers. There's the unhappy marriage between the ad exec and uh, D. Wallace and that festers. Um, there's the yellow Pinto, the car that they end up getting stuck in. Um, it has a problem that is not addressed and it keeps getting worse and worse. And so these problems crop up and nobody's paying sufficient attention. And so because people are inattentive in this film, they're not paying attention to their dog or the bite on his nose or the marriage or fixing the car, this festering leads to this rabid, deadly situation. That's pretty awesome to me. Yeah. Um, they say, uh, all, and, and, and let me see here. There's another betrayal because the mechanic, the owner of Cujo, he uh, plans to betray his wife when she goes out of town to visit her sister and she's actually running away. Um, he plans to go out and do, uh, quote, broads, booze, and baseball. So that's a betrayal that's in the works there. There's also um, the betrayal of trust um, between between the husband and wife because there's the, the husband who is cheated on, all right? So And he's supposedly friends with the guy that, that D. Wallace has an affair with. So that's betrayal. Um, it, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, I'm just going down here through. I'm going to try to kind of cut it short in case people are bored. <laughs> but, no, no, I don't think you should. Take your time. <laughs> okay, thanks. That's nice of you. And at one point, there is also this concept that you can spot a couple of times in the film where it's like too little, too late. Like when you start trying to, to fix things too late because of inattentiveness, like the husband does actually try to address the pento problem, but um, you know he doesn't have enough time. He doesn't have the knowledge, and that's why it ends up falling upon the wife, and she gets stuck. And I I think that's interesting too. Um, another betrayal is the mechanic's wife is sneakily leaving her husband forever and taking the son away, and and he's an abusive father and so forth. So she has her reasons. But still, it's, you know, she's running off. I'm just putting it out there. Um, and let's see, the, of course, the mechanic's friend gets killed by Cujo, and he used to be friendly with that dog. And so it kind of reminds me of poor Dr. Shock's story he told earlier. He, he knew that dog and encountered it many times, and then the dog attacks him. And then um, just moving on down, let's see if there's anything else that I want to talk about here as far as betrayal. Oh, just the fact that the car ends up not working. Technology betrays her. People yeah. might consider that a stretch, but it just, it does not come through for her and it fails her. No, I mean, I think that's great. It's something, again, this is all playing with our expectations of what should happen, right? Mm -hmm. Subverting our expectations of what we believe should be the case. We expect that the car is going to work. The car should work. Yeah, you should you should be able to get in your car and drive away from the situation. And right. the 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 mere fact that you can't it's such a small thing puts them in the gravest of situations. I mean that's yes. that's crazy. 
Yeah, it's horrifying. And I'll tell you what I think is the the most upsetting. I mean, this is the scariest betrayal in the whole film, and it's the most upsetting scene. And, and it's not her fault, but the mom, D. Wallace, assures her little boy that the dog cannot get them inside the car. And what happens? The dog ends up inside the car. It's awful. It's just, it's truly harrowing. I mean, this kid, I mean, he's been told by this woman that there's, there are no such thing as monsters. And then he's told that, she's told that, she tells the kid they're going to leave. And then he's like, don't worry, they, he can't get us in here. And then the next thing you know, a few scenes later, he's in the car chewing on her. And, <sighs> and, and it's like, it's, it's extremely upsetting. The kid is traumatized and, and like he's seeing his mom get, get eaten basically. And it's, I mean, I, I, that, that really upsets me. That scene makes me shake inside and I can't even imagine because if you think about it as a parent, the whole thing would be awful happening to you, but also knowing that your kid is witnessing you and being like destroyed emotionally and mentally. I mean, that's just awful. And then, um, let's see. Oh, the coworker. Yeah. Yeah. His friend. So when the husband goes away, um, to fix this account that they've screwed up on with the serial, there's a betrayal there too, because, um, he tells him the husband's got to leave early to go check on his wife and see what the heck's going on. And he shares with his coworker, you know, she's been having an affair on me. I, I can't get a hold of her. I got to go see what's going on. And, and, and so this coworker, like, he finally reveals his true colors and he's like, yeah, but what about this account? And he's, you know, he's mainly mad about, he's worried about his own career and so forth. Right. <laughs> and, and and then there's a small betrayal, but it's still bad. Um, at one point, the mother is trying to revive her son and help keep him uh, alive, basically. And she starts, and the kid starts biting her fingers. And so she's been bitten by the dog and now the kid is biting her too. So that's another little small betrayal. <laughs> and then, um, and then it's weird that her, her lover, the guy that she had the affair with, uh, he does this weird betrayal where he goes in the house and starts slicing up her bed and pillows and, and does all this yeah. weird weirdness in the house. <laughs> and, um, and then after all, the mom is doing all this stuff to try to save her son and keep him alive. And, um, the son kind of betrays the mom by saying, I want my daddy. And uh, he just keeps screaming it over and over because obviously his mom is not cutting it, is not protecting him sufficiently. And she just screams, all right, I'll get your daddy. And it, and that would be hard to hear as a parent. You know, I just think that's interesting. Yeah. Anyways, did you have something there, Josh? Because I'm, I'm, I promise I'm wrapping up. No, I'm just up. listening attentively. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm not interjecting enough. I think... <clears throat> everything you're saying is fascinating i think it's a thank you really interesting take on it that's awesome and uh and i guess uh the last thing i want to say and we've talked about this and joked about it before but i think it is just fascinating and hilarious how cujo the dog's demise is because of two bats really there's the the first bat at the beginning you know that bites him on the nose and then there's the baseball <laughs> bat and that, that, and that's just so cool to me. But anyways, um, this film is a 10 out of 10. I absolutely love it. And I think of all the horror pets films, this, this is replete. It is filled with examples of betrayal and especially from, you know, the pet itself. Cause 
um, Cujo does kill its owner, which is the mechanic, and it would have killed the the boy and the mother and everybody else, but they escaped luckily. So anyway, this is um, a great film. I truly love this story. It's one of my faves. So uh, what do you rate Cujo, Josh? I don't remember what I've rated it in the past, and I you know I haven't seen it in a few years. I I <laughs> I think like in my memory of it, I would probably give it like a seven or so. <laughs> Just it's it's a lot of that's for kind of like technical and um, things, but it is really good. I mean, it's 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 very effective. I should say, like it really sucked me in when I watched it. I was, you know, I also have to you know admit, last time I watched it a large part of that was trying to think of ways to rib you um, just based on the (laughs) situation we were in. Like, you know, it's like uh, how, you know, I was taking kind of the Andy Hal approach of how can we mess with Jason during this? Um, Yes. But, uh, but no, it's, it's, it is a great movie. I don't own it. So this is one that I, uh, I, I would like to rewatch now. And, um, you, you have piqued my interest. I think that's really interesting. I, I, I'm also curious as we move into our Stephen King, uh, episodes mm-hmm. coming up later this summer, if that is a reoccurring theme of his work, or if that is uh, simply something that's here in Cujo is it's cl- you've demonstrated that it's replete mm-hmm. with it. Yes. Um, and one thing I always, maybe I'll, oh, I've got a little story about Stephen King, but I'll save it for those Stephen King episodes. Wow. But it makes me think that maybe this is just something he loves to do to, to insert this type of theme into a film and really run with it or into a, a book and really run with it. So, um, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. I, I will be watching it again based on your review. Oh, good. Well, thanks. That makes me happy. And I hope the, Listeners will check it out again, or if they've never seen it, visit it for the first time because it's fantastic. And um, so I think that's just about it, uh, Josh. I would encourage the listeners to go to, I'll link this in the show notes, but if you go to Wikipedia and look at the natural horror films page, I mean, it, it talks sure. about the various beastly freaks and animals that happen in nature. So I found some of the films uh, that we were talking. Number one, the version of Hound of the Baskervilles that I love is 1939. Okay. Um, found that out. Uh, I found several films that have gangsters or people feeding people to pigs. So uh, in 2000, we have Guy Ritchie's Snatch. Oh, yeah. And, that's and right. that, it doesn't happen in that film, I don't believe, but they do talk about it in that film. <laughs> right. Uh, the next year, 2001, Hannibal, the sequel to Science of the Lambs, it's a pretty big scene. Uh, where someone is fed to the pigs in like a really gruesome way. Um, the one that I was thinking of more recently is a Denzel Washington movie called Two Guns. It's Denzel and uh, Mark Wahlberg, oh, yeah. your guy. Oh yeah. And uh, there's a there's a gangster, I believe, a Mexican gangster. I see. I've seen the film, but only once, and I don't remember it very well. Uh, who feeds you know his rivals to pigs. <laughs> Um, so that, that's a, that's a reoccurring thing. And then there is a horror movie exploitation horror movie from 1972, just called pigs, mm-hmm. AKA daddy's deadly darling. Yeah. Um, features pigs eating people. I know that way. And then of course, once we get into, into boars, then it really goes up. But even the domesticated pig is, it can be dangerous, but, but yeah, once it gets into boars, then you've got razorback and boars and, even and, Hunt for the Wilder People more and, recently has kind of like a deadly boring count. Yes, and Pig 
hunt. Yes. That's pig hunt. I'm like, <laughs> you got to be careful how you say that one. But anyways, that one I love from 2008. <laughs> I know people are thinking that's a different genre. I think you're thinking of there, buddy. But anyways, and we did. We didn't mention rabbits, but I think people would like us to mention at least Night of the Lepus. <laughs> we should, sure. should at least say there are killer bunnies. Um, when we had our, uh, at Easter, many of our listeners tweeted us happy Easter messages with lots of deranged <laughs> killer bunnies. And Night of the Lepus was, was one of the favorites. I believe David sent us that one. And um, I always think of Benicula. That's talk about horror pets. The Benicula book series, if you guys have kids, I'm I'm reading them with my kids now. It was one of my favorite when I was a kid. There's first one is Benicula, the vampire rabbit. Then there's a haunted honeymoon. No, that's not that's the Gene Wilder movie. Mm-mm. Holiday Inn is the second one, where the, the animals all go to a boarding kennel and there's a murder that they have to solve. The third one is um, the celery stalks at midnight. And basically these vampire bitten celery are becoming zombie celery. And uh, there's one more. Anyway, they're great books. I, I, I love them when I was in like third grade and I'm going to read them with my kids right now. So nice. Plenty yeah. of killer horror pets in those books. That's right. And if I may here, so I'm going to just, I'm strictly going to read the, um, the headings here because I, Josh, I just feel like, People have not decided to click on the link for the natural horror films on Wikipedia. <laughs> so, so this is my way of luring them in. So this covers, and it has like, you know, the movies listed under each section. So you got amphibians, arachnids, bacteria and viruses, birds, crustaceans, fish, which has subcategories, eels, piranhas, rays, sharks, snakeheads, other fish. And then you get insects like ants, bees, cockroaches, flies, mosquitoes, moths, parasites, wasps, other insects. Of course, these are not all pets, obviously, but I just want people to know. Jellyfish. And you got mammals like uh, bats, bears, canines, felines, pigs, primates, rats, whales, other mammals. Then you even have mollusks like octopuses or octopi and squids. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, reptiles, alligators, crocodiles, dinosaurs, lizards, snakes, turtles, tortoises, other reptiles. And then you have plants, worms, miscellaneous. And uh, it's a good time. So this is a really fun little Wikipedia page. I think it's worth your time to check out. And it'll be like... What section would Orca be under? Oh, um, well, I, I mean, aren't those mammals? I would think. Yeah. Sea mammals, yeah, yeah, probably it should be in there. So, anyways, I hope people have had a good time with this episode. We <laughs> sure have. Yeah. They're like, "What the hell were you guys doing?" <laughs> like, 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 not all, not all theme discussions are created equally. That's right. But I, but I think uh, it's. I mean, I think, look, it exists. It is a subgenre of horror, whether we want to admit it or not. There is a big portion. There's a big section of films about killer pets and so Mm -hmm. we've now covered them that's right (laughs) except for uninvited which i we owe you a review we will and in fact when we were preparing for this episode i wasn't aware of that request but uh, because i'm a cat guy and everybody probably guessed that i love cats um i actually that was one of the ones i was looking at thinking oh that looks very fascinating (laughs) so (laughs) i i definitely want to get to that so we should do it for sure 
All right. So um, as we wrap up episode 119 here of Horror Movie Podcast, we want to thank everybody for listening and for joining us. And I hope people will go over and check out Universal Monsters cast. You guys have done a lot of coverage leading up to this. It's not just The Mummy. I mean, you've done a lot of really good preface. And so if people want to get pumped up for that, check it out over there. Do you have anything else to say about that, Josh? I'm really excited about our last episode that just released. We talked to one of our listeners' wives, Dark Mark's wife. I hope that's not giving away too much. That it's, She's that awesome. Mark's wife. <laughs> she was really cool, gave us a huge amount of insight, and it was just really depressing as Red Cap Jack said <laughs> after he listened to it, he's like, man, she really depressed me. <laughs> because yeah. they really are coming at these films. You know, the studios think much differently than the fans do mm-hmm. about these properties. And it, uh, that was a bit of a reality check listening to it from her point of view. But we also had a really great interview with Matt Greenberg, who was one of our uh, jurors on the Horror Cinema Awards. We mentioned him then. He wrote Halloween H2O, The Reign of Fire, uh, the Dragon movie. And then um, he also has done several Stephen King adaptations, 1408 probably being the most notable. Mm-hmm. But um, really interesting guy. And he gave us a lot of insight into coming in late on a property like he did with Halloween H2O, adapting someone else's work like he did with Stephen King. And he even himself adapted The Invisible Man for a television series in the early late 90s, early 2000s. So he had a lot of great insights and he was a lot of fun to talk to. Amazing. That sounds really good. Yeah, we've had the pleasure of interviewing Dark Mark's wife. We had her as, as a guest on Movie Podcast Weekly a while back. And she does have a lot of great industry knowledge. So the fact that she was on there, I was going to listen to it anyway, but I definitely want to hear it now that I know that she's on there. So that's worth everybody's time for sure. Yeah. So this is very weird, Josh, but we do have a little contest giveaway. And I think I have an idea here for this. (laughs) So these are the stickers from Armored Foe. And I'm just going to be really honest with um, the audience. Okay. So Armored Foe generously sent us these incredible stickers. And what I did is I took some out for myself because let me just let me just put it out there. He he said we could. Okay, so it wasn't just. <laughs> it, well, I'm just saying when people send no, us he, stuff, he was giving us a gift. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I just wanted to point out to people because when people send us stuff and they say these are gifts for the listeners, then we do we give it away to the listeners. And so I just want you to know we're sharing these. But once I um you know sorted everything, I, I made sure that. Wolfman Josh got one of everything. And I've got a big pile of stuff for you now, Josh, that I've been saving. We got to see <laughs> we got to uh, see movies together more often. Anyway, so I got uh, a set for Josh, set for Dr. Shock and some for myself, of course, but but what we did is after all that was sorted, um I I have basically and don't be mad, but I have three awesome stickers. So a set of three, no, no, wait, wait, so it's a set of three for one person, a set of three for another person and a set of three for a third person. So there are nine stickers. Three sets of three. Yes. Thank you. Three sets of three. Very good. And, And so Josh, I thought a funny way or a fun way to pick the winners is if people, um, either tweet a photo or Instagram, a photo of your horror pet Yes, <laughs> and that way we can see the horror movie podcast audience's pets and then um, we will pick and I'll just tell you right now if your um, horror pet is wearing an HMP shirt you'll definitely get <laughs> 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 definitely get stickered no I'm just saying but anyways 
I might even share some of my stickers with you if your pet is wearing a HMP shirt. But no, seriously, we'll just pick uh, just randomly, basically whatever ones we like the best, and we'll mail you those stickers. And remind our listeners who maybe didn't hear the last episode what some of these stickers are um, from Armored Foe. Oh my goodness, yes, I will. So here, here's what we have. And Armored, Armored Foe is a very talented artist, and I, I can't believe he's so generous to share all this with us. Yeah, he is. Follow him on Instagram, and you can see, uh, you know, the stickers as he creates them. He he puts up his sketches um, as he's working on them, mm-hmm. and um, and then later, you know, obviously check out his Etsy shop or whatever, and you can yes. you can buy them. But but he actually, you can see the initial sketches as he's working on them. He he puts them up, and they're really cool. They are, and in fact, if you go if you go there, you can see all these things like um on Instagram at Armored Foe. And on Etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash armored foe. It'll be linked in the show notes for episode 119, of course. And you can actually view all these stickers there. But you got you got <laughs> really freaky, I'm serious, very disturbing stickers of Black Phillip from The Witch. Um, he's got a, a, <laughs> a large size and a small size. I know you'll love that, Josh, but it, I'm, I'm being honest. It creeps me out. No, I, I saw it on his Instagram. It's beautiful. It's it, so good. It's amazing, and I do find it creepy. No kidding. It's scary, yeah. You got, um, let's see, you got uh, random green skulls. He describes it as uh, <laughs> you got Vader's uh, crushed helmet. You got these um, wisdom teeth. You've got some some versions of Skeletor, which are really awesome. You've got dead Spartan warriors. You've got um, Shogun warrior Godzilla. You've got, um, so it was Imposter Roy from Friday the 13th. And I was, I embarrassed myself last time by just saying it was um, Jason Voorhees. But, I, okay. Uh, so I, I admitted it. <laughs> so it, but, <laughs> but I corrected it in the show notes at least. So yeah, it, it was actually Imposter Roy, but it's my favorite sticker of all these. And you've got some um, unmasked Jason Voorhees. I mean, they, these are really amazing. So. Uh, we'll we'll get we'll share some with you and we'll keep the rest. <laughs> so go go support Armored Foe and uh, purchase his work. It, it's definitely worth it. It's very cool. Anyways, what else do we want to tell people to check out, Josh? So send those to us at twitter.com slash horrormoviecast or instagram.com slash horrormoviecast. That's right. You got it. And um, as for me, I hope people check out our sister show. It's Movie Podcast Weekly. It's been um, really a lot of fun lately. Josh, we got to get you on uh, back over there. It's been way too long since we've had you on there. Josh, yeah, it's been a while since uh, was The Invitation was the last one. Wow, that's <laughs> way too long. So, um, you know, whenever there's something... longer than that. No, it was The Interview. That's what I was... All the inter- yeah okay that's that's ridiculous then okay well let me know when there's something in theaters that, that you're planning on seeing that you're not going to cover big time elsewhere like oh for example Josh this weekend I'm catching it comes at night are you seeing that one nice. this weekend we're going to talk, talk about that on this show I hope oh absolutely we are in fact um the very next episode and and I'll I'll give at least a, a mini review for the HMP audience of what I thought of the mummy, but you're going to hear a, a, a freaking amazing banquet review over on UMC. Anyway, <laughs> m- moving onward, uh, movie podcast network is our network of shows. We've actually got at, at the moment, we have seven 
podcasts on there for people who love movies. So we ha- we hope you'll check out moviepodcast.network and get a little sample of those. All right, Josh, any other plugs that you want to give for people to follow you or anything else? Uh, moviestreamcast.com, universalmonsterscast.com, and I'm on social media at Icarus Arts. Please get in touch with me. All right. Well, we love your comments. We're grateful Uh, We hope you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And Josh called me out in the comments of the previous episode. And um, I did? Yes, yes, you did. But the thing is, and I couldn't get mad because I was like, you know what? Josh is right about that. I am the only one who has access to horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And that's what I wanted to say. I don't answer the emails a lot of the times strictly because of time. And that's terrible, I know. And then we don't read it on the show. But I do read the emails, even though I don't read them aloud and stuff. I, I thoroughly enjoy that. I, I check them out on my break at work and stuff. But Josh, because I read what you wrote and I'm like, you know what? Josh is right. And I feel terrible about this. I'm switching things around. I'm going to start doing better with the emails. So I really appreciate when people write. I don't want people to think we're not grateful. I just want to be clear. I was not calling you out. Someone just asked if I had access to the emails and I was just saying no. I just encourage people to leave comments on the website because then we definitely see them. If they if they have something for me or Dave, that's not just exclusively for Jason. He gets a great deal of joy from reading those emails. As he said, I, want, I don't want to rob him of that joy. He's got a long day at work. He needs to. <laughs> have some emails come in to to take his mind off things a little bit but (laughs) if you do or if you're really interested in me and dave knowing what you've sent to us then we usually do not see what goes to the email and we see more of the twitter and the and the website that is true and yes thank you for clarifying and i was just kidding i know you weren't calling me out but yes josh told the truth and it is not a community inbox but i do love and appreciate everything you all send and i answer some of them Sometimes, if I have an extra second at work, I will try to answer, and I'll get better. One of these days when we have a short Frankensteinian episode, we can take some time to go through listener emails, because we used to do that so much, and we really have gone the other direction. So, Well, it was episode 14 that I think really, <laughs> of horror movie podcast, that was like an eight and a half hour episode. No kidding. And we did a lot of listener feedback, and I just thought, I don't know, eight and a half hours seems like we're pushing our luck if we think it's extensive. Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Anyways, but yeah, so we have all those episodes at horrormoviepodcast.com as well as our back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. And Josh, just recently on the network in our special features feed, which is subscription feed, we did the anatomy of a kill. Have you been hearing any uh, yeah. feedback on that one? Do you are- just just for our horror listeners? Yeah, I have. I've heard some good feedback. Colin from Scotland tweeted us to let us know that he enjoyed it, and then said, "By the way, you didn't read my picks." So sorry about that, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Cake Wolf was very kind and sent out a tweet on our behalf. And, it, and, and yeah, yes. there, have been, there have been a lot of listeners who have been very complimentary. So thank you. We're not looking for compliments, but it's nice. It's nice to get them occasionally. Um, and we, we just love you guys and we appreciate our patrons, especially as we're now trying to move that direction a little bit with the movie podcast network shows. Uh, we really appreciate the support of people who can who can do it. And um, yeah, good stuff. There's going to be a little bonus episode coming up in the middle of this month from myself and Matroid, we took a road trip to LA and recorded along the way and had just some really weird conversations 
about <laughs> junior high and uh, music that we listened to in junior high, and and uh, we we stopped at some cool movie lo- locations and geeked out as tourists along the way. And so, if you want to hear that, that's coming up in the Movie Podcast Network patron feed. That's right. All right. Well, thank you. And um, we're on Twitter, as you all know, at Horror Movie Cast. And uh, we'd love it if you subscribe free in iTunes. If you haven't done that already, you can also leave a comment there. I also want to just really thank and appreciate our musicians, uh, Fred Ingram and uh, Kagan Breitenbach. Where has Kagan been, by the way? Um, I have- Kagan, I don't, I don't want to speak out of school, but maybe he would like to rather share this news himself. But he's been hired on several film productions. I think he's got like six different movies that have hired him to do scores. And so he's been very busy. Um, I wonder if they heard his, his work on this show and they're like, we gotta have that guy. Had to have been. It had to have been. (laughs) Well, I just want listeners to know. So the theme music for horror movie podcast, our theme song comes from Frederick Ingram. You can find his work at frederickingram.com. And the song that we use is called wilderness. And what Kagan did, he's a musical genius. He did this, reworking of Fred's original theme and enhanced it. And so listen to Kagan at KaganBreitenbach.com. That's always linked in the show notes, of course. And Josh, I think that's it. That's episode 119, um, Horror Pets. There you have it. Thanks for listening. And join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Sit, boo-boo, sit. Good dog.